Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today, whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5. We are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream. Baptist Church. Are you excited we get to worship a risen Savior this morning? I was a little bit weak, but I'll just, I'll tell you what, let's stand and you can make it up while we sing this song. The battle belongs. Sing it with us.
Praise God. You may be seated this time, and would you join me for a time of prayer this morning? Uh, Father, just want you to know how much we love you, adore you, and cherish you this morning. And want to say thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessed Son of God who came down to die for our sins, resurrecting from the grave three days later. Uh, Lord, I'm so thankful for the time that we had today in the 830 service, thankful for the time that we had in Sunday school. Thankful for my Sunday school teacher this morning, Brother James Cornett, teaching us from John chapter number 3 and the necessity of being born again. And so thankful that John 3 contains those, those words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Even more thankful that those words in that scripture say, whatever's born of the flesh is flesh, but whatever's born of the spirit is spirit. Lord, this coming week on Wednesday, I'll celebrate 41 years on this earth. And I'm thankful, thankful, Lord, that you created me, thankful you made me, but even more thankful that on November 19th of 2009, spiritually I was reborn. Spiritually, I was made anew, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we're praying today that if any lost soul might be in the room that doesn't know Christ Jesus as Savior, that today during this service, at some point, whether it be now or when the invitation is given, that they might come to Jesus Christ and live. And Father, we pray for all those who come in that have different needs going on in their life that might be beyond salvation. Maybe it's a disease, a certain illness. Maybe they're grieving that, God, your hand of mercy might be upon them. Father, in all things, we promise to give you glory, praise, and honor, and want to say these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, it is good to see you, Flat Creek Baptist. It's going to be a great day in worship. Let's welcome our online and radio listening audience at this time. People joining us all over the world to worship this morning, and we're certainly grateful for those who join us through different capacities and different means, but uh, extra grateful for each one of you this morning being here in person. And you might be with us for the very first time, and if you are, we want you to know that you're our honored guest. Inside the back of your pews, you're going to find a Green Connections card. If you could please fill that out for us, and on your way out the double doors, you're going to see a Connections tent over to your right. If you could turn that in for us, uh, that's our way to connect with you during the week, but also we have a gift for you, so please make sure that you turn that in today. Uh, also, one quick announcement that I need to make. So we are coming up, believe it or not, I think we're like six or seven weeks away from Christmas. I mean, it's, it's coming fast. And uh, if you hadn't got your Christmas list together, it's probably about that time uh, because it's coming quickly. But one of the great Christmas traditions that many of you like to keep uh, are the Christmas shoe boxes with Samaritan's Purse. Those shoe boxes are going to be available here next Sunday and they're due back the second Sunday of November. So please pick up one of those boxes next week and be sure uh, to promote that and be sure to fill those boxes so that children all over the world can not only receive a gift for Christmas, but more importantly, they can hear the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. At this time, we're going to ask you to stand to your feet and fellowship with those around you. Tell them how much you love them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning.
your testimony this morning you can only have the god of that angel army by your side if you know jesus as your savior so i'm praying that by the end of the service that's you but if it is already you how sweet it is to sing this hymn together i love to tell the story let's sing it
so much. Please be seated. So before we sing this next song, we got one more that we're all going to sing together, and then we, we have a choir special before Pastor Zach comes. I just want to read you this real quick. John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. John 7, verse 38, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And then Romans chapter 10, verse 11, As Scripture says, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. We've sung these songs of great testimony this morning. Our surrender, the battle does belong to him. We love to tell that story, amen. That's the sweetest story of all. Because we have nothing to fear. But because of those things, we get to believe that Jesus will do everything he said he would. He promises us we'll never be put to shame. And so I just want to pray real fast and just encourage you. as we, We're going to stand up in just a second. But as we stand to sing this, this last song together, I want you to think, if you're already a Christian, you know this and you know nothing will stand against me. I have no reason to be ashamed. I'm going to do the work of the gospel. I'm going to go preach the word. If you're lost and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. And Pastor Zach's going to come preach the word to you here in a minute. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit moves in your life. And you feel that conviction. You find yourself down here crying out to God to save you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we get to gather together today. And Lord, I pray that as we, as we uh, stand here in just a moment to sing this song, Lord, I pray we remember where we came from as Christians, how lost we were before we surrendered our lives to you, and how we celebrate the victory now knowing you as our Savior. Lord, I pray that uh, as we stand, and there are those who may not know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that this would be the testimony that they long for, that they yearn to know in the fiber of their being, that one day they'd be able to stand up and sing with the rest of us, I believe there's nothing God can't do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand and sing this song together. Breeze is going to lead us. Believe for it.
may be seated.
Amen. Wasn't that great? Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, that's actually Psalm 103. If you go and you read Psalm 103 straight down, that's what you just heard sung uh, from our choir this morning. What a blessing. What a blessing. Uh, our children are being dismissed this time. Kindergarten through fifth grade, you can make your way to behind the piano where Miss Breeze and our children's workers will meet you there. So you can go ahead and make your way that direction. And if you will open your Bibles today to the book of 2 Timothy, the book of 2 Timothy chapter number 4. The book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now I know if you are a part of Flat Creek Baptist Church, you probably are scratching your head and saying, wait, 2 Timothy, not Romans? Uh, because after all, we are walking through the book of Romans. And to be honest, I don't know, really, honestly, I don't know if since February... I've preached out of another book of the Bible outside of Romans, and so you might be surprised to hear us going to 2 Timothy today. And as an expositional preacher, a, a preacher who believes in word for word, verse for verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, preaching of the Bible, um, it, it is quite difficult for me to preach just a topical sermon. It's not something I normally do. However, there are seasons, such as Christmas, Maybe Easter where you take a pause. There are also events which happen, which cause you to stop for just a moment and to just look at God's word in order to settle the heart. And that is what we're going to do today. I, I want to bring a message to you this morning entitled, What in the World is Going On? <laughs> what in the world is going on? Now, you're going to hold your place there in 2 Timothy 4. This is where we are going to land. At the very end, this is where we're going to come to. This morning, you're going to be all over the Scripture, so I'm going to ask you to kind of put your Bible hat on and jump all around today with me as we journey through the Scriptures today. You know, it was last Saturday morning that we arose to the news of the brutal terrorist attacks which were carried out by Hamas against the nation of Israel. And as the week has progressed, we have been inundated with the horrifying news of the nightmare which occurred. I was telling the first service that when I moved to Georgia uh, four years ago almost, uh, that I was a news junkie when I got here. I mean, you talk about the news, I watch the news all day, every day, it was just what I did. However, when I moved here, uh, just with the busyness of life and the fact that David Muir, ABC News Tonight, comes on at 7 and I eat my supper at 6.30, I no longer watch the news that much and my life is a lot less stressful. Can we just get an amen on that? Uh, however, this week, as the news was kind of beginning to progress and we were beginning to hear more and more things Summer and I, we sat down on Tuesday night to watch the news, and within just a matter of moments, she had to get up and leave the room. Many of you may have found yourself in a similar situation this week. As we've watched the news this week, we've seen thousands of people killed, moms and dads being brutally murdered in front of their children. Women have been raped. We've even heard the horrifying news of babies being beheaded. There's others who have been taken hostage and are being killed around the clock to force Israel's hand. Meanwhile, the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, he has declared to destroy any remnant 
of the terrorist organization which carried out the attacks. And even as we speak, there's a ground war which is taking shape or beginning to take shape in the Gaza Strip. Hamas and Hezbollah, which is another terrorist organization, they're pleading now with different Middle Eastern countries to rise up in a day of terror around the world against all Jews and truly are declaring an all-out war to wipe Israel from the face of the earth. So when you take that news with all the other news that we hear in the last few years, such as worldwide pandemics, a one-world currency, some of you probably, if you like prophecy, have been hearing of the drying up of the Euphrates River. There's a rise in the interest of the extraterrestrial, many wars. There's an increase in depravity. And there's a longing in the human heart for a leader who's going to declare peace. It's, it's natural for us as believers to begin to wonder, is this the end? Are the things which we are seeing, are these things prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes? Now, if you want a more in-depth look at prophecy, I'm encouraging you to come Wednesday night to Brian Johnson's class. He's going to this week go even deeper into some of the things that I will be talking about this morning. I would encourage you to do that. That's in the fellowship hall this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. We are blessed to have Brother Brian Johnson as a member of our congregation. And he's, I consider, maybe the greatest Bible prophecy teacher I've ever heard. But it's, it's natural for us to begin to wonder, are we standing at the cusp of Christ's return? And if so... What is our response as believers as we see these things happening? Now, friends, this is of vital importance. And as we've been walking through the book of Romans, we haven't gotten this far yet, but there's one verse in Romans chapter 13, verse 11 and 12 that I want you to hear. Romans 13, 11 through 12, the apostle Paul writes the following. He says, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Based on what Paul says there in Romans 13, friends, now is not the time for slumber. Now is not the time for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to sit idly by. Now is not the time for us to sit in our padded pews in our air-conditioned building singing Kumbaya week after week. Now is the time for us to realize that the day is at hand, the hour is at hand, and it is time for us as believers to respond. Amen. Now I'm going to ask three questions today. And using the scriptures, we're going to try to answer these three questions. So I'm going to put them before you here at the very beginning. All three questions right here at the start, and then we're going to go through them. And number one this morning, we're going to look at the reality of the last days and ask the question, are we living in them? Secondly, we're going to ask this question, how close are we? And third, what is our response? Now, understand that in seeking to answer these questions, I don't want to just tell you what Pastor Zach thinks. Now, I could do that. I could stand here and I could tell you what I think. But in preparing this message, I just feel led to just share with you extensive portions of Scripture. 
because I want you to know what God says. And I want you to hear from the heart of the Holy Spirit this morning. And in so doing, I think you'll come to the same conclusion that I have come to as well. So number one, I want us to look at the reality of the last days and answer this question, are we living in them? Now, seeking to answer this question, I simply just went through the New Testament and I found the places where we see this phrase, the last time or the last days. And I examined each of these portions of Scripture. And in so doing, a picture came into sharp focus, which I believe will also become clear to you as we walk through this this morning. So a few different passages, and so this is where you're going to have to really flip around with me. But I want to start right here in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says beginning in verse number 1. He says, but realize this, that in the last days, you see it there? In the last days, difficult times will come. Difficult there in the original Greek language is the word uh, which means grievous times. You can almost say in the last days, heart-wrenching times. Heart-breaking times. Gut-churning times will come. And listen to what he says. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Friends, if you were just to take that list and that list alone, now we're going to go through a lot of others, but if you were to take that list and that list alone and you were to walk down through that scripture verse, through those passages, and you were to put a check mark beside every word that describes our day, you would have to put a check beside every single word. For the sin in our day is not only rampant, the sin in our day is increasing. Friends, we are living un like unto a day which was I prophesied in the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 20. In Isaiah's book, he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Friends, this is the day in which we live. Amen. Depravity at every side. What used to be right is now wrong. And what used to be wrong is now right. And friends, it's only getting worse. Just when you think that you have heard or seen the depths of human depravity, just when you think it can't get any worse, just when you think we cannot scheme up anything more evil than what we've already seen, something comes along. And makes us shake our head and conclude we must certainly be near the end. Amen. Now turn with me to the left to one book, to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. And I want you to listen to what Paul writes Timothy here. Now you'll notice he says, but the Spirit explicitly says. So we got to make sure that we understand that, that this is not Paul's thinking here. This is the Spirit inspiring Paul, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, the Greek word yesteros, 
or latter times that some will fall away from the faith. You recognize, now just talking about the Southern Baptist Convention, in the last 25 years, every single year, the Southern Baptist Convention has reported a decline in church membership, a decline in baptisms, a decline in salvations, a decline in overall giving. Many will fall away from the faith, Paul says, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Listen, men who forbid marriage. Now, friends, we live in a day when the lines of marriage have become so blurred that we even have laws protecting in our government and we even have rules protecting inside of some church denominations the marriage of homosexuals, which is an affront to the design of God. As a matter of fact, North Point Church, just down the road, Pastor Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley, is holding a conference this month promoting LGBTQ pastors, men who are married to men, who will stand in the pulpit and preach. Listen to what it says. And they even go so far as advocating from the abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Once again, we're seeing clear evidence that we are indeed un in times unlike any other in human history. Keep going with me. The book of James, chapter 5. The book of James, chapter 5. James 5, beginning in verse number 1. Listen to what James says of the last days. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your misery which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fi fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. When James speaks of the last days, he speaks of enormous wealth. Using your wealth on yourself instead of gospel advancement. He speaks of the folly and putting our trust in the things of this world, living for the here and the now. Just consider the riches that we have today. And many of you have commented on my, my jacket that I'm wearing this morning. It's over here on the front row. Now, do you realize that jacket costs more than some people around the world will make in an entire year? Now, before you call me a hypocrite, I got it on sale at Belk's, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so the original price, anyway, not the price I paid. Do you realize we live in houses today that would have been castles in days gone by? Think of the cars we own, the boats we own, the luxurious lifestyles that we live. All of it is a mark of the last days. Jeff LeBorg, who was here just a few days ago during revival, he got it right when he preached on the parable of the rich fool. How many people there are today who put their confidence and they put their trust in the here and the now, yet their soul is going to be required of them. Let me ask you a question. Where's that money going to be at the end? Where are those homes going to be at the end? What will those luxury items procure for you? 
James highlights the fact, if you go on to read, he highlights the fact that all of these things are going to be burned up in the judgment at the end along with the one who has put his trust in them. Now journey with me on over to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse 20. Listen to what he says there. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. He says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times. There it is again. These last times for the sake of you, through him who are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, stay right there in Peter and just jump over to 2 Peter and listen to chapter 3, verse 3 through 9. Peter says, know this, first of all, that in the last days, there it is again, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Once again, we see signs of the day in which we live. People are mocking us. People are scoffing at us, just like they did against Noah, that preacher of righteousness in the day in which he lived. Can't you see, old Noah? He's out there hammering away at that ark for 120 years. How many of those passerbys came around the corner and said, Noah, what are you doing building that boat? Noah would say, well, God told me he's going to send the flood. Oh, Noah, there's not going to be any flood. You've been out here building that boat for 75 years. You've been out here for 95 years, Noah. You've been out here for 120 years. God's not going to send his judgment. Friends, that's how it is in our day. They laugh at us when we mention the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They say, when? When are these things going to happen? Things are just as they've always been. If Jesus were coming back, he would have come back a long time ago. Why 2,000 years? Pastor Zach, why would you believe in such foolishness? Friends, the scoffers are scoffing. The mockers are mocking. Now journey with me to another portion of Scripture, Daniel chapter number 12. Daniel chapter 12 and we're going to look at verse number 4, Daniel 12 and verse 4. Daniel 12 and verse 4. Listen to what he says. The Lord speaks to Daniel and says, But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth. And knowledge will increase. Many will go back and forth. Do you hear that? In the end times, many will go back and forth. Hey, 250 years ago, if you wanted to travel from Europe to the United States of America, you had to get on a boat. 
and it would take you months to get from one side of the Atlantic to the other side of the Atlantic. If you wanted to go from Georgia to California, you had to get on a horse and buggy, and it would take you months, if not a year, to get from one side of the country to the other side of the country. So people stayed at home. But with the turn of the 20th century came the invention of the automobile and came the invention of the airplane. This afternoon, I'm, when I finish here, I'm going to Gatlinburg, Tennessee on vacation for a few days. When I leave, I'm going to get in my Jeep and I'm going to drive from here to Gatlinburg, a journey that used to take people a day, two days. I'll make in three hours and on the way, I'm going to pass thousands of people going to and fro. If I want to go to China this afternoon, I can go down to the Hartsfield International Airport, which is the busiest airport on earth. And I can buy a ticket and by tomorrow morning, I could be in Beijing along with millions of others of people who are traveling all over the world every day. People are going to and fro. Knowledge will increase. Friends, we have a, a world of knowledge at our fingertips. If I want to know what a million times 10 million is, all I got to do is plug it into Google, and within a matter of seconds, it'll be there. If I want to know about all these things that we see and get understanding, type it into Google, and with a split second, there are going to be articles coming up to help me understand. This is a sign of the last day. People will travel to and fro. Knowledge will increase. Hopefully, it's beginning to come clear to you that all these things are showing us that we're living in the last days. But if we want the clearest picture, of course, we need to go to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 24. Matthew 24, and I want you to listen to verse number 4 through verse number 14. Now these were spoken just a few hours before Jesus is going to go to the cross of Calvary. It's one of his final teachings to his disciples. He's on the Mount of Olives. He's looking at Jerusalem. And here's what he says beginning in verse number 4. Jesus said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and they will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now jump over to verse 32. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too. When you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. And truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour... No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father of alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. 
For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the meal, one will be taken and one will be left. Now, of course, the most famous portion of that text I've just read is where Jesus mentions the days of Noah. When he says, so shall it be as in the days of Noah, this will be the day of the Son of Man. Now, you don't have to turn your Bibles here, but over in the book of Luke, chapter number 17, Jesus adds a second clause to that. In Luke 17, Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot. So taking the days of Noah and taking the days of Lot into account, what do we see? In those days, there was heightened demonic activity. There was gross sexual immorality. There was unrestrained lawlessness, violence. Genesis 6:11. what does it say there? God saw that the actions of mankind was corrupt and violence filled the land. Do you know what the Hebrew word for violence is? It's the days of Noah. The Hebrew word for violence is Hamas. As it was in the days of Noah, unholiness filled the land, causing God to regret that he had ever made man. These are the marks which have been mentioned in the text that we've read this morning from Paul, James, Peter, and Daniel. And we have all agreed that we are living in the midst of these days now. But one thing I want you to notice in the text, when Jesus mentioned the days of Noah, he doesn't specifically mention their sin, although I believe it's implied. Instead, he mentions the suddenness of judgment. The suddenness with which God's judgment befalls and the casualness with which they went about their lives without recognizing the wrath of God which was about to fall. In other words, the prophetic warnings and the prophetic signs were all around them, but they didn't heed the advice. They continued in their ways, and they paid the ultimate price. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage until the flood came and took them all away. They were going on life as usual, blind to their own demise. Friends, it reminds us of the day in which we live. Just like Peter said, scoffers are going to scoff. The warning is going out. The signs are all around us. But people are going on business as usual. They are unconcerned with the reality of the soon coming Lord Jesus Christ. They are unconcerned with the judgment which is going to be introduced at the day of the Lord. They go on in their pleasure. They go on in their debauchery. They go on in their fornication. They go on in their carousing. They go on in their perversion. They go on in their sin until judgment falls and then it's going to be too late. Too late to turn back. Too late to change course. Friends, this is a horrifying reality for all of us today. We know people in our lives right now who, despite the warnings, will never change course. They will plunge headlong into hell because they're living for this world and not the world to come. See the reality of the last days. Now, secondly, I want to answer this question. How close are we? Just how close are we? Now, of course, we know 
that Jesus said that, you know, not the angels, not even the Son, only the Father knows the day in which the Lord, the Son of Man, shall return. However, one amazing thing about the Bible is this, that God is not silent concerning his plans. God gives us signs. God gives us indicators in order for us to be able to determine the season so that we can know the nearness of his coming. So I'm going to give you three signs so that you can see the nearness of his coming. Number one, I want you to see what Jesus said pertaining to the reunification of the nation Israel. What Jesus said pertaining to the reunification of the nation Israel. Listen to Matthew 24, 32 through 34. Jesus says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and it puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So too, when you say these things, recognize that he is near, he's right at the door. So number one, Jesus is telling us that we can know the season. And by knowing the season, we can know just how close he really is. Amen. I mean, it's just like fall right now. It's, it's, it's beginning to be fall. How do we know it's fall? We know it's fall because this morning when you woke up, it was a little bit colder, wasn't it? When you drove into the church today, you started to see those leaves changing colors. If you didn't know it's fall, you should have been in our 830 service. Every woman had a pumpkin spice latte. That's how you know it's fall <laughs> in the state of Georgia. But you know it's fall because of what you see. So it is. When you begin to see these signs, you can know that the season is at hand. However, you got to understand that in the Old Testament, the fig tree is representative for the nation of Israel, specifically in Jeremiah and Hosea. So Jesus says, when you see the branch has become tender and it has put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Now you will remember that in A.D. 70, Jerusalem was destroyed and Israel ceased to be a nation. And for almost 2,000 years, the Jewish people were scattered across the globe. The, the nation was literally dead, just like I, uh, Ezekiel says in Ezekiel chapter number 37. Remember, God takes him and he sits him down in a valley of dry bones, very dry. As Caleb said a few weeks ago, they were dead, dead. That's the nation of Israel. They were dead. But what happens in Ezekiel 37? The dry bones come to life. 1948, Israel once again became a nation. And it was then that the fig tree began to produce its leaves. Friends, understand that Israel is the difference between our generation and every generation before us. Understand that Israel is the linchpin of all prophecy. Every other generation could say, well, Jesus could return at any moment. He could come any day, and they wouldn't be wrong because we believe in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the one thing they didn't have that we do have is that Israel is once again in the land. Jews from all over the world are beginning to make their way back to the homeland. Biblical prophecy is being fulfilled right before our very eyes, and Jesus said that this generation will not pass away. So you have to ask yourself, the question was a biblical generation. Well, some people will say 30 years. Some will say 75 years, which if it's 75 years, that's 2023. Some will say 100. Some will say 120. 
Here's what I'm going to say to you. Whichever, whichever one of those numbers you believe is accurate, here's the thing. Right now in 2023, we're closer than we've ever been. Amen. When Israel stepped back into the land in 1948, the end time countdown began. How close are we? Well, secondly, I want you to see the sign of convergence. Now, if you were to ask biblical scholars of our day, what's the one sign that proves that we're standing at the cusp of the return of Christ? They'll give you different indicators. But by and large, the one sign that they're going to answer and say, this is the indicator of the reality of our day being the last day is this sign of convergence. Now, that may not make a lot of sense to you right now. But here's what I want to say to you. You see, in our day, we see not just one sign being fulfilled, but we see many signs being fulfilled. And not only do we see many signs being fulfilled, but we see them being fulfilled in rapid succession, one after another. And what does 1 Thessalonians 5, 3 say? Paul says, while they are saying peace and security, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with the child and they will not escape. So if you think about a woman in labor, she begins to have contractions. And she might have a contraction at nine, she might have one at 11, she might have one at one, but then she has one at two, and then one at three, and then one at 345, and then one at 415, and then one at 430, and then one at 445. And as those contractions start getting closer together, one after another after another, what do you know? The baby's almost here. It's the sign of convergence, just like the labor pains upon a woman. So when you see these signs, you see, here's the thing, in generations gone by, there may have been a sign, but it'll be years before another sign. But in our day, it's one sign after another sign after another sign after another sign. It's rapid succession. And Jesus says, just like a, a woman who's about to give birth, when you see these signs coming rapidly, understand. That the Lord is standing at the door. Now, there's two events which are mentioned in the Scriptures. How close are we? There are two events which are mentioned. There's the rapture and there's the second coming. Now, now friends, they're actually different events. Now, you might not under, know this, but, but the rapture and the second coming are actually two different events. All right, so, so the second coming, let's say that represents this pole. This is the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ happens when Jesus actually puts his feet on the earth again. He will put his feet on the Mount of Olives. He will cross the Kidron Valley. He'll walk through the gate and he'll take his rightful seat as king. That's the second coming. But the Bible also teaches us of the rapture. Now let's just say this pole represents the rapture. Now, the rapture is mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. This is those famous verses where Paul mentions the dead in Christ rising first in those things. I won't read the whole text, but I want you to listen to the end. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. That's the Greek word Harpazo, it means to snatch out. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. And we will meet the Lord in the air. So shall we always be with the Lord. You notice the difference. Here, he puts his feet on the earth. Here, we meet him in the clouds. That's how we know they're different. 
So how close are we? Well, here's what I want you to know. Every sign that we've talked about this morning, everyone, James, Peter, Paul, Jesus, every sign we've talked about this morning is a sign pertaining to the second coming of Christ. Every single sign is pointing us to the moment when Jesus will put his feet on the earth. Every sign of the rapture, the Bible gives us no signs. The Bible just says it's going to come like a thief in the night. So think about this. If every sign points to the second coming of Christ, and this happens seven years after that, how close must we be? We're standing at the cusp of Christ's return. Friends, based on the evidence, you and I are actually living in the most exciting time in church history. Amen. We're living in a time and in a day when all the saints before us long to live. And I believe it with all of my heart that there are some in this room who will be alive at the rapture. I believe that there will be some of us who are alive and will hear the trumpet sound. We will be called up, snatched out to meet the Lord in the air. Friends, his return is nearer than it's ever been. So what's our response? What's our response? This is what I've been trying to get you to. 2 Timothy chapter 4. What is our response as believers? 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to what he says. Now, these are Paul's final words. This is the last letter he's ever going to write. In just a matter of days, he's going to be taken out of this prison, and he's going to be beheaded for the cause of Christ. The last letter we have, this is the last chapter that Paul will ever write biblically. The next time you'll hear Paul talk is when you meet him in heaven. And this is what he says. To Timothy, his young disciple, I solemnly charge you. He's binding him with an oath. It's, it's just like an individual who stands in a courtroom, puts their hand on the Bible and one hand in the air, and says, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Paul's saying, Timothy, put your hand on the Bible and swear an oath. I solemnly charge you. In the presence of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is going to judge the living and the dead. We've already seen the nearness of this future moment as we've examined the text this morning. But understand when Paul is speaking to Timothy here, he's speaking not only of the judgment of unbelievers, but he's also speaking of the judgment of believers. Remember that all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will stand at the tribunal of Christ and we will give an account for what we did with Jesus while we had the time. Believer, understand that one day you will stand before Christ and you will give an account for your works done after salvation. The other day I was sitting in my office with a, uh, one of our senior members. I'm not going to mention his name. I don't want to embarrass him. But a precious man of God. And if I were to say his name, you would say, he said that? This is a man who does so much for Jesus. And he was weeping in my office and he said, every day I ask the question, have I done enough? Have I done enough for Jesus? May that be all of our hearts. 
I solemnly charge you before God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to judge the living and the dead. And because of his appearing, soon and very soon, dear brother and sister, the clouds are going to be rolled back as a scroll and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to step forward. And because of his kingdom, his eternal reign, that you and I as believers are going to get to be a part of. Because of these things, what's our response? Paul says, preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. I know you were probably hoping for more. You're probably hoping for a step-by-step guide of, of how to, to protect your family in the last days. Probably hoping for a dummy's guide to, to the end days. All those things of importance. But what is of utmost importance? Paul says, preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Keruso the Lagos, Paul says. Keruso is the Greek word which denotes a public crier, a, a herald who would stand in the town square and he would share the news of the day. But he had a very specific and important function. Months in advance, this public crier would be told that the emperor, the king, was coming to town. And so he would be in charge of letting everybody know so the town could be made ready, so the people would be prepared when the king walked the streets. And so he would prepare everyone's heart so that on the day that he stood in the square and said, the king is coming, the king is coming, the king is coming, everybody would be made ready. And Paul says to Timothy, you can Russo the Lagos. You stand in the public squares and you proclaim the king is coming. You notice it for word, and he uses the word logos. What a beautiful word for him to use. But you remember way back in John chapter number 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word or the logos. The logos was with God, and the logos was God. He was with God in the beginning. The logos of God, the word of God, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, the entire Bible written over 4,000 years by 40 different authors tell one beautiful story of redemption which can only come through one promised Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul tells Timothy, Caruso the Logos, he's telling him to preach the entire Word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures inspired by God. And in teaching the inspired Word of God, you Point them to Christ, the author, the finisher of our faith. Paul says, don't hold back. In season, out of season, preach the word. Always be ready. Preach the word when it's convenient. Preach the word when it's not convenient. Preach the word when it's uncomfortable. Preach the word when it is comfortable. Preach the word when you're persecuted. Preach the word when you're not persecuted. Preach the word when your life is on the line. Preach the word when your life's not on the line. Preach the word whether it makes you popular. Preach the word whether it makes you unpopular. You just preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and do this with great patience. 
Even when the labor is long and the days are hard, when seasons are dry and no one seems to be concerned, when the altars aren't filled and no one responds, when discouragement creeps in and the hearts of people grow cold to the things of God, be patient. Know that in farming, you don't sow a seed today and have an ear of corn tomorrow. You have to water it. You have to tend to it. You have to take care of it. And if you do those things, one day you're going to see a harvest. Galatians 6, 9, don't lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not go weary. Paul tells us the importance of the task at hand. He says in the last days, they're not, they're not going to listen to the truth. In fact, truth is going to be hard to come by. Verse 3 and 4, for the time will come when they will not tolerate, they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Friends, this is where we are. This is where we are. This is the day in which we live. A few years ago, when examining where we are as a country, where we are as a church, God prompted my heart to write a, an article, which I shared. And I want to share this little article with you today. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think it'll bring us to a close and show us the importance of this response, preaching the word. This article that I penned is called The Death of the Gospel. And I want you to hear what I wrote actually about six years ago but how it pertains so true today. We are gathered here today to remember the gospel, God's blessed news of salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Once this message was deemed powerful, life-changing, and transformative, it was deemed to be worth the cost of one's life. There was a time in days gone by when people were gripped by its message. Marriages were restored, addictions were loosed, idols were smashed, towns were turned upside down, churches were planted, people left everything behind because they believed this was the only message by which people are saved and reconciled to God. At some point, I'm not sure when, the church began to think of the message of the cross as insufficient. We began to think in order to gain an audience with the world, we needed to become more relevant. And we needed to adapt our message to the modern culture. We no longer longed for the Holy Spirit to fall, but decided we would sell out to the ways of the world. So we sacrificed the gospel for our million-dollar facilities. Amen. We sacrificed the gospel for relevance. We sacrificed the gospel on the altar of popularity. We sacrificed the gospel for our idols, our man-made institutions, and our celebrity status. We sacrificed the gospel because we ourselves were not fully convinced that the gospel is enough. Somewhere along the way, we in the church have become nothing more than a dog and pony show. Amen. Nothing more than a circus. Intent on entertaining and discontent with brokenness. And we have suffered the consequences of this death. As with all deaths, there's a void left. And the void is being felt in the church today. We do all we can to create something that people want to come to. We do all we can to develop the next strategy, such as having the biggest and the best show in town filled with smoke machines and laser lights and projector screens and theme Sundays. We dress like the world, look like the world, act like the world, and then we have the audacity to wonder why the world is not attractive. 
We wonder why multitudes of people are not flocking to our doors. Could it be in an effort to be popular and cool and relevant that we have actually killed the one thing people need the most? Could it be that we have placed the gospel in a casket and buried it in the church cemetery alongside of the many saints who gave their lives to ensure that we would actually hear this life-changing message? What has happened in the church today grieves the Holy Spirit of God and should grieve the follower of Jesus Christ. Let us remember that Jesus did not turn the world upside down because he wore the most relevant clothes or because he preached to multi-site campuses. He was never followed by a praise band to set the mood. Jesus changed the world because he preached and he lived a life of righteousness. It's only when we get back to the gospel. It's only when we lift up the Son of Man that the world will be drawn to him. The death of the gospel is the most significant death in modern-day history, and it threatens the future of the church. Friends, there's only one remedy, resurrection. Will we resurrect the gospel from the dead? Will we get back to the day when we preach the gospel with the conviction that the gospel is enough? Will we get back to the day when the gospel grips our hearts the way it gripped the apostles? Will we renounce the man-made and and for the power of God and live unashamedly for it? You see, I for one renounce the man-made church in favor of the true body of Christ. I denounce denomination in favor of the true message of Jesus. I renounce foolish schemes and programs and watered-down preaching in favor of the gospel. The gospel has the power because the gospel is the life-changing message of Jesus. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I would rather have Jesus than anything else in this world. If it means I'll never be an Instagram star, so be it. If it means I'll never go viral, so be it. If it, never, if it means I'll never trend on Facebook or have a like page, so be it. I would rather sacrifice all these things and have the gospel. So I plead with the leadership. I plead with the church. Abandon the ship. Throw out the junk. Get rid of the folly and resurrect the gospel. It has been buried long enough and it is still the message the world needs to hear. Amen. Flag Creek, do you see the importance? The world is teetering on the edge of the day of the Lord. We cannot sit idly by as false teachers, as wolves in sheep's clothing, lead a world to a devil's hell. We cannot sit idly by while the world perishes. We cannot sit idly by in our air condition and our padded pews. There's work to do. There's souls to save. There are unreached people groups to reach. There are people all over the world right now who have never even heard the name of Jesus. Three billion people that do not even know a man named Jesus lived, lived a sinless life, died a death they couldn't die, resurrected from the dead, ascended to the Father, and is coming back. Three billion people that don't even know he ever existed and will go to hell today should the Lord Jesus return. Does that not grieve us? Does that not burden our hearts? 
We have to make a choice. When we take the easy way and say, you know what, I'm just going to ride this thing out. I've got my ticket punched. I'm good to go. Or will we live on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ? Even if it means that we have to give everything up in order that a lost world hears about him. Even if it means we've got to give up our lifestyle, our home, our family, and even our life. Will we commit to Caruso the Lagos to preach the word in these last days? Friends, it'll be worth it in the end. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Paul said, 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. A twofold invitation today. Believer, a believer, this is your opportunity in your heart right now where you are to commit in your heart to preach the word. You see the scenes. They're horrifying. Women raped, people being kidnapped, terrorists paragliding in from the sky, threats of wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, all this stuff is happening. We see it. There's a depraved and lost world. Will you commit, old believer, to preach the word? This is not a call for the pastor. This is a call for every believer to tell the world about the Lord Jesus Christ while we still have the time. He's coming. He's coming. The King is coming. The King is coming. The King is coming. Will you commit, believer, to preaching the Word? Not watering it down, but standing on the truth of God's Word. Secondly, for the unbeliever, you came in the day to Flat Creek, maybe for the very first time. You don't even know why you're here, but you're here. And as I've been preaching, you've heard about the end times. You've heard about the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today you would say, my heart is not ready. If Jesus came back today, I would die and I would spend eternity in hell. I know it, but I got to get that right. I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ, be forgiven, be reconciled to a holy God. I believe in my heart that Jesus died for my sins and on the third day God raised him from the dead. And I believe he's the only remedy for my sin. And I want to be saved. If you are here today and an unbeliever and you want to be saved, I'm going to ask you to make a bold, bold move. I'm going to ask you as we sing this invitation, I know who I've believed in, to take a step of faith out in the aisle and walk down here to the front, to the altar, and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. It's not a scare tactic. I've been preached a message to incite fear in your heart. I've simply preached a message to tell you the truth. The day of judgment is coming, and without Christ, you stand no chance. Would you come to Christ and live today? Standing to your feet, this is our hymn of invitation. Unbeliever, you come. Take me by the hand and say you need to be saved. Believer, you pray and commit your heart to preaching the word. You come.
Listen, if you would like to talk more about your salvation or how you might come alongside of me and others in preaching the Word, please come let me know after the service. Would love to talk to you a little bit more. Listen, a few announcements that I need to make. First of all, Gary Bagwell handed this to me before the service. Uh, the Golden Corral, our, our wonderful senior adult choir, they're going to be singing, it looks like, a few times this week. Tuesday night, they're going to be singing at Smoky Springs Retirement Village. So if you're part of the Golden Corral, make sure you're there. Maybe you'd like, I don't know if you can go hear them over there or not, but maybe you could. You can talk to Gary about that. Also, they're going to be singing Saturday night, this coming Saturday night at New Hope Baptist Church in Nicholson, Georgia, with the friends, the Georgia Gospel Trio. We love Georgia, so if you'd like to go listen to the Golden Corral Saturday night, New Hope Baptist Church. And then Sunday night, October 29th at Mountain View Baptist Church for the fifth Sunday night, Redback Hymnal singing. You can go and join the Golden Corral over there. Uh, two more quick announcements for you. This is really important. You need to hear this. Next Sunday morning, you're going to see a little bit of a change here at Flat Creek. I know we don't like change. Uh, this is actually a good change, and it's for your safety and security. As you can see, we're, we're growing. God's doing a great work, and we're so thankful for that. And we want to make sure that, that you are safe when you're on our campus. Uh, last Sunday night, our security committee brought a motion before the church uh, to have a uniformed police officer here through our services. This is not because we have anybody who has threatened us. It's not because anybody has called the church and said, I'm coming to get you. Uh, it's just because we're growing and we want to make sure we have an extra set of eyes. And so you're going to start seeing a uniformed police officer around. And uh, that's a good thing. We want you to love on them and take good care of them and show them the Flat Creek ways. Not just security, but it's also an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. So make sure you do that. They'll be here next Sunday. And lastly, don't forget, uh, if you'd like to give to Flat Creek, you can give on your way out the doors to the offering plate. Or you can always give online, flatcreekchurch.net. It's been a great day, hasn't it? It's been a great day. Listen, if you want to hear, as I said, if you want to hear more about prophecy, please attend Brian's class this Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. matter of fact, there will not be a prayer meeting this Wednesday night. Everything's going to be in Brian's class at 6 o'clock in the fellowship hall. So make your way over there. You can hear more about it. Hear more about the end times. I promise you, your heart will be blessed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close our service today. Brother Caleb, how about you close us with a word of prayer today? Lord, we thank you for the opportunities you've presented to us this morning just to come together and worship you. Lord, we thank you for the, the word that Pastor Zach has shared with us and challenged us with, Lord. I pray, that, uh, I pray that it would inspire great joy in our hearts and in our minds as we leave to know uh, that your return is indeed imminent. And Lord, I pray we also take to heart the challenge issued forth, that we would go out and preach the word every opportunity we have. I pray you get, inspire us to do so and give us the strength and the boldness to step forward in that knowledge and challenge. We love you. Be with us as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams, and it Glory is a great FM, honor your family to have radio you join station us in North Georgia. Hi, I'm Father it 